This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, August 10th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, at Boomerang, focus shifts to revegetation, eyes to ears with Bella Eatman, amazing grace, and a mountain weather forecast. But first... First responders conducted a mission this week to rescue a 19-year-old woman who fell in the Lower Ames Falls area outside of Telluride. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, a group of young people were camping at the rim of the falls when the girl slipped and fell into the gorge. San Miguel County Search and Rescue, Telluride Fire Protection District personnel and EMS, and sheriff deputies responded. Responders assessed the girl, extricated her with a rope, and brought her to the trailhead in a litter in a three-hour mission. She was taken by ambulance to the Telluride Regional Medical Center for treatment. Over the last two summers, the Environmental Protection Agency was busy on Telluride's valley floor, performing emergency remediation on old and unstable mine tailings. Last fall, the EPA concluded the work, and efforts to restore the habitat are getting underway. KOTO's Gavin McGough took a look at the past and future of the site and has this report. Megan Eno, the U.S. Forest Service ranger with the Norwood District, is walking on the valley floor south of the Sunoco gas station near the bridge at Boomerang Road. Like where we're standing right now, if we were to rewind time to 2019... Uh, There was a trail that paralleled this very spot that we're looking at, um, which was straight up mine tailings, right? There was no vegetation growing. The area was a known problem for the Forest Service. Lead levels in soil at the site were thousands of times above what federal agencies deem acceptable. Meanwhile, despite posted warning signs, the site was a popular destination for bikers and other recreators. Concerned about the level of public exposure to the tailings, Eno contacted the Environmental Protection Agency to do a site visit back in 2019. Just being on site with the EPA and the Forest Service and our other partners quickly realized that 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 risk is real. We're not really able to keep people from recreating on those mine tailings. And that's what spurred sort of the immediate action. It also helped that we saw children that day. (laughs) Um, So it's very inspiring, right, to be like, it's better better to do this now than to wait. Work on the tailings began almost immediately following the visit, and the project unfolded and expanded over the following summers, says Eno. So when the EPA mobilized in 2021, they had kind of an initial estimate like, oh, we're going to remove something to the tune of like 15,000 cubic yards of material. But like with anything, that was a surface observation. And as they dug, they just continued to find more. So while we thought this was going to be a one-season removal action, it ended up being into two over 2021 and 2022. And they ultimately ended up removing 30,000 cubic yards. Contaminated soils were scraped off a 15-acre portion of the valley floor, beginning at the Boomerang Bridge and stretching west along the course of the San Miguel. Over two summers, the EPA then trucked the tailings across town and deposited them under management by the Newmont Mining Company, east of Telluride. Joni Sandoval, a federal on-scene coordinator with the EPA, says all project goals were completed. We successfully removed all of the tailings material from the valley floor, Um, and so the threat to human health and the environment was mitigated, and we consider that a big success, right? You know, we kept the trails open for recreation. There were no safety issues. We, um, you know, for the work workers or community, we had 
done air monitoring and had no um, detections. I definitely took pride in the work that we did there. Last fall, the EPA put down some seed material and returned management of the site back to the Forest Service. USFS is now partnering with Trout Unlimited, a national conservation group, to turn the focus of the project from remediation to restoration. Tanner Banks is working on habitat restoration with Trout Unlimited. Looking around at the vast swath of gravel and dirt, he recognizes the EPA's first round of seeding last fall has not led to immediate results. Obviously, you know, we haven't had a, a great success in recruitment. It's, you know, there's, I've seen worse, and but in this type of a setting, in this riparian corridor, vegetation is obviously going to help drive how the the ecosystem functions long term. So that is certainly one of the big goals. Banks and Eno estimate a full revegetation effort could take some three to five years and will be a collaborative process dependent on grant funding and open to community input. For members of the public concerned with the bald patch left on Telluride's beloved valley floor, Sandoval urges patience. It takes years um, for root systems to get established and really take off. It's not uncommon to see things have a little slow start to revegetation, but it will come back. As Telluride deals with its mining past, each remediation project tends to progress slightly differently. In the summer of 2020, the town of Telluride completed its own project on the valley floor, which opted to cap tailings in place and reroute the river rather than move contaminated materials to a new location. And area remediation efforts are far from over. The EPA is now shifting its focus to tailings along the Gallopin Goose Trail and Lawson Hill. Residents who have watched the emergency action at Boomerang with concern say they hope for a different process this time around. Nancy Kraft, a resident of Lawson, met me at the tailing site below the Gallopin Goose. I think, you know, there are examples right in the area just upstream on the valley floor where the town of Telluride had an extremely successful tailings remediation and revegetation. I hope that rather than declare an emergency action here, EPA will take all the time necessary with lots of public input and come up with a project that's going to really achieve the goals. For those like Kraft, who watched the EPA's emergency action with concern, the transfer of management back to the Forest Service marks the end of a chapter. But up and down the banks of the San Miguel, efforts to reckon with an industrial past are certain to continue. Beauty can be chaos, and chaos can be beautiful. This week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman celebrates the messier things. Good evening and good day, listeners. Welcome to the Kodo segment, Eyes to Ears. I am your host, Bella Eatman, and I visit local art galleries to find paintings to describe to you. I found this painting at the Mix Art Gallery and was in awe at the abstract paintings that were shown that day by Nicholas Chizaz. Out of all the amazing pieces I had gawked at, 
I decided to describe to you today a painting known as The Waves Have Heard Your Name. There is no background to this piece. The canvas remains blank to thus let our attention be drawn to the subject. Wide, multicolored brush strokes indicate two figures at a meeting point before a powerful and disruptive force sets the two apart and broken. To the right, what appears to be a long, transparent fin, reaching towards the center like a giving hand, its topside is a ripply effect of hot pink and black, protecting the more light and delicate lavender palm. Just reaching the top of its fin are small spots of yellow and pink and blue. Surrounding the fin is a disturbed black and pink halo, breaking apart to violent droplets. And to the left of the canvas, we see a stream, folded like a delicate ribbon as it tears and unravels the closer to the center it gets. This, however, doesn't stop the subject from seeming like a calm river made of opal and aquamarine gems found in a cave, glittered with magenta. And this meeting of fin and river ends in a brilliant burst of magenta, green, blue, and black. Thank you for listening, everyone. Seeing Nicholas's work was a magnificent way to spend my Monday noon. I loved the bright colors and the way that they seemed to actually clash, like two cars driving directly into each other, bursting in a wonderful display of debris. I heavily recommend visiting the Mix Art Gallery when you have the chance. But this is Kodo's Eyes to Ears. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. For the past two months, KOTO's newsroom has been bustling. Grace Richards joined the KOTO news team in May as a summer intern, but now a new school year beckons and she's heading out on the next adventure. KOTO News sat down with Richards to hear how the summer's gone and what's coming up next. Have a listen. Hey, Grace. <laughs> hey, Julia. Folks will know your voice uh, by this point from the Kodo Airways. You've done a number of um, really fantastic DJ sets as Amazing Grace. Folks will know that. Um, you've also reported a bunch of stories for KOTO News. You've helped produce the newscast on several occasions. But now your time at Kodo is coming to a close and we are crying. How's I'm, your summer been? <laughs> I mean, I'm crying too, honestly. It's been so amazing. Uh, the people here, um, just the community uh, in Kodo Radio, this team that works so hard and is so passionate about what they do. Um, it's been fantastic. You're leaving us uh, to go back to school. Where is school and what are you going to be doing this year? School is in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, UNC Chapel Hill. Um, I will be studying journalism and English. Uh, I'm really excited because I love it. 
I love the sort of college bubble of having so many people my age. Do you feel like um, your experience with Kodo this summer will um, influence or inform or I guess help even your studies going forward? Oh, for sure. Um, I've learned how to interview people in a way that kind of makes them feel more welcome because I used to go into interviews and feel super nervous and I feel like that rubbed off on the other person and I've gotten better at it, which I'm proud of for sure. As I said, you've reported a bunch of really wonderful stories for Kodo. Is there one that sticks out as um, your favorite and why? For sure. Um, The story I did about uh, Telluride Skate Camp, I loved doing. I loved talking to the kids and to Craig Wasserman, who runs it, and seeing kind of the way these kids throw themselves into what they do and have so much bravery and overcome their fear. It was a very inspiring thing. And also just the sounds of the skate park are so rich and interesting to edit. What is your favorite part about um, the reporting or producing writing process when it comes to making radio? Um... I think it depends on the day. Sometimes I love to record because it's almost like a performance in a way. And it, I'm, I'm proud of my work and what I've written. And I get to read that to an imaginary audience. But I also love to just be out talking to people. I did a street beat very early on in the summer about social media. And I got to just talk to so many strangers about what they thought about how social media impacts young people. And that was fascinating. Um, So I love that part of just being out gathering news and information. Yeah, you, um, you've already kind of touched on it. But recognizing that you are going back to school for journalism, what is it that draws you to this field of work? That's a good question, Julia. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, I like learning people's stories um, because everyone has different things that they go through in life and the way they persevere through difficulties in their own special special way uh, is so interesting to me. The way people uh, push through really hard times I find inspiring, I think. Yeah. Um, what are you, as you're heading off to the other side of the country, what is the thing that you feel like you're going to take most from your time at CODA, whether it be news specifically or just, um, DJing, being part of this community in general? Um, I think that I can do a lot more, uh, than I think I can, if that makes sense in, many different ways that I just need to have more confidence in myself to fake it till I make it because in the end I will make it even if I screw up the first few times I can I can learn new things and be good at them yeah that's a good one (laughs) um well Coda listeners 
Grace isn't quite gone yet. You'll hear her voice at Jazz Fest over the weekend, and she's probably going to have a couple stories that will actually run after she is physically here. Posthumous stories. <laughs> it's not your dying. Wow. <laughs> um, but Grace, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me. We have so loved having you a part of the news team over the summer, part of Kodo over the summer. You know, you're always part of this family, and um, if you ever decide to come back open arms oh thank you so much julia the telluride school district is calling for nominations for three school board director positions each of which carries a four-year term candidates are required to have been a registered elector of the school district for at least 12 months before the election additionally they must not have been convicted of committing a sexual offense against a minor nor can they run as a member of a political party. Nomination petitions are available at the Telluride School District office and must be turned in by August 31, 2023, at noon, with a minimum of 25 signatures. These positions will be voted on in the school board election on November 7, 2023. Life can be pretty awesome. Next week, Telluride Arts, the Wilkinson Public Library, Telluride Science, and the Telluride Foundation are teaming up to host psychology professor Dacher Keltner in a talk about the role of awe and wonder in everyday life. Keltner will discuss his latest book, Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life, which traces the emotion of wonder throughout history and culture. Keltner investigates how awe can get us through periods of grief and put us more in touch with our own humanity. The event will take place at the Telluride Arts Gallery West on Monday, August 14th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. Wyoming lawmakers are ditching don't say gay language as they gear up for next year's legislative session. Rules that prevent teachers from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity with young children were scrapped this week after a flurry of discussion that divided elected officials, parents, and educators. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Tyler Pratt reports. The Education Committee met for hours in Cheyenne on proposed legislation that died in this year's session and is near identical to the controversial Florida law, often called the Don't Say Gay Bill. A legal advisor told the group the law may be unconstitutional under the First Amendment. And then dozens of parents and teachers shared they wanted the bill, like Laura Tolliver Person. Why are we wanting to expose children to these things before they are developmentally ready? Sexualizing our children is not okay. But dozens of others argued against it. Eamon Medina said he wanted educators to use they-them pronouns with his child. I asked my kid about what it meant to them that their teachers did this. They reported that it felt really good because it made them feel respected. One state representative called the legislation a bill nobody agrees on. And when the group voted on how to proceed, it split the committee. And so they removed language about sexual orientation and gender identity. They will still take up other issues of parental rights in the classroom at a meeting this fall. Don't Say Gay could still come up in next year's session, but without committee sponsorship, it's less likely to become law. Tyler Pratt, KHOL News. Recycled water is growing in popularity in the water short west. Earlier this year, Colorado adopted new rules for the process that cities use to take water from toilet to tap. California is poised to do the same. 
For KUNC, Alex Hager has more on the roadblocks that technology faces. Cities in the arid west are not going to get more water anytime soon. So a new way to squeeze every last drop out of the supply they already have is an attractive proposition. Take Castle Rock, Colorado. Mark Marlowe is the city's water director. We pay a lot of money to get a water supply. Last thing we want to do is just put it back in the river after we use it and let it go downstream for someone else to use it for free. The suburb between Denver and Colorado Springs is growing fast. Castle Rock and cities around the region are getting increasingly stressed about keeping the taps flowing. The underground aquifers used by Castle Rock and the Colorado River used by tens of millions across the West, they are drying up. It's safe and it also makes us much more reliable in a drought because we don't lose water to the environment through evaporation or having it soak into a dry creek bed. We have the technology to purify water so well, we don't have to put it back in a river or reservoir first. Engineers can set up filters and pump it directly from the wastewater treatment plant back into the pipes that go to homes and businesses. It's called direct potable reuse. All the science shows that it's safe, and Colorado's Department of Health and Environment is setting up rules for cities that want to use it. Tyson Ingalls is an engineer with the state. The treatment required to do direct potable reuse is expensive enough that they need to understand where the goalposts are going to be so they can put it in their long-range budget so they can make it economically viable. Ingalls and other people who make the rules about reusing water would really prefer you not think about it as sewage. They want you to remember all water gets reused. When you pull in water from a creek or a reservoir, you are pulling water in understanding that it's been contaminated by geese, elk, or another community. Ingalls says that's just part of nature. Those concepts are the water cycle. There's a finite amount of water on the planet, and so we already know that it's going to recycle and be reused. No Colorado city is using this kind of technology yet. Castle Rock, for one, is at least three to five years away from making it a reality. But across the region, it's picking up interest. California just proposed similar rules, and water managers near Los Angeles are developing a massive water reuse facility. Arizona and Nevada have offered to help foot the multi-billion dollar bill. But setting up water reuse will take more than just money. One of the biggest hurdles? getting the public to trust it. And few people know that better than Birgit Landon. They told me it's the ick factor. Really, it's just the visual, it's the, the idea, it's the ick factor that makes them go, no way. Landon worked on a big public outreach campaign for the utility department in Colorado Springs. She took a trailer full of pipes and filters around the city to let people see exactly how the technology works. And at the beginning, people were pretty hesitant. Are you willing to use recycled water for lawn, watering your lawn? Oh, yes, absolutely. How about for the water in your toilet? Yeah, no, no doubt. The same went for washing clothes and dishes, but... How about for uh, drinking? And then they started to hesitate. Well... But Landon has some good news. Those folks can be converted. By seeing, touching, and tasting the final product, she says holdouts mostly got on board. Sushira Pochiraju, a water engineering consultant, says more and more people are starting to understand climate change and what it's doing to our water supply. It's getting easier with more awareness and this generation being much, much more aware because they're scared for their next generation and their children, basically. And they have to accept at some point that this is safe and this is what we need. What we need to help stretch out a water supply that's only getting smaller.
I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 60% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Friday, there's a 70% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a high near 80. Friday night, there's a chance of showers and thunderstorms with partly cloudy skies and a low around 45 degrees. Saturday calls for showers and thunderstorms and a high in the mid-70s. Saturday night, there's a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low around 45 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, August 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Friday for our broadcast of the Telluride Jazz Festival. Tune in to KOTO's live broadcast from Town Park starting Friday evening and running in the evenings on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Listen over the airwaves or online at KOTO.org. We will be back with more news on Monday, August 14th. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, this is Teresa at the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miner's Minute. Since the 1970s, the Telluride Town Park stage has served as a focal point for the town's ever-evolving music and art scene. The initial Town Park stage was built in 1974 for the first annual Telluride Bluegrass Festival. The members of the Fall Creek Band, determined to literally get their festival off the ground, built the tiny 15 by 15 stage from wood scraps and barn wood. That first summer, the stage was an open platform with tarps overhead and no backstage. Needing to protect musicians from the elements and improve the sound quality, the structure continued to grow each year alongside the festivals themselves. Don't miss out on your chance to be a part of this iconic history and join the Telluride Museum on the Town Park stage for a night of fun, food, and festival history. On August 24th, the museum will host our main fundraising event of the year on the Town Park stage. And we're already dreaming of the delicious creations by Jeff Rossi of Backcountry Catering, who will be catering the event. And this is going to be a truly unique night that you don't want to miss. So if you're considering supporting the museum at any point this year, I would greatly appreciate your support now, and you can purchase those tickets online or give me a call. If you can't make the event, but you'd like to donate, you can email me at t-h-e-r-e-s-a at telluridemuseum.org, as we'd love to offer a ticket raffle as well. We've got lots of other great events coming up at the museum as well, including Senior Mahoney Day. In honor of the late legendary Billy Mahoney, admission to the museum is free for all on Saturday, August 12th. It's the perfect chance to check out our new annual exhibit on festival history if you haven't already. There's still room to sign up for our last traditional hike into history program of the season in celebration of Sheep Mountain Alliance's 35th anniversary on August 19th. This will be a strenuous but fun out and back exploration of the lower portion of Sneffels Highline and you can learn all about the history of our public lands. Tickets for that hike are available online. Finally, drumroll, we are thrilled to announce the return of our Evening with Ken Burns event, which is happening on August 27th at the Palm Theater. So after a three-year hiatus, Ken will be showing his first ever documentary, Brooklyn Bridge, as well as providing a question and answer session. Again, that's August 27th, and tickets are $25 or 20 for members and five for students. 
I want to give a big thank you to our community for all you do to help the museum preserve and celebrate your local history. And a big thank you to Kodo, your rare medium. Well done. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.